What kind of trouble does a criminal defense attorney from a rural county face on a day-to-day basis? We explore that mystery in today's mini-episode. about bad things. Hey guys, it's your buddy Brad. Welcome, welcome, welcome into this special mini episode, this bonus episode of the Killing Missing Hidden podcast. I thought we'd do something a little bit different today. I thought we would share some good old-fashioned war stories. Now, attorneys love nothing more than to tell their war stories. Every courthouse has a coffee pot or a water cooler where every attorney in that county will sit down for a spell and swap tales about the craziest, dumbest, or most unique things they've seen that week. So in this episode, I'm going to share with you some of the favorite stories from my days in practice, either from clients I represented or tales that I picked up during the course of my career. Uh, Naturally, I'll give the disclaimer that anything that could be used to identify any of these parties has been changed. So, let's jump right on into it. We're going to start off with the tale of the grieving wife. So, early in my career, when I was still naive and full of optimism, we represented a fellow who had been charged with embezzlement. And charged really wasn't the right word. This... This dude was caught red-handed, and we had no defense whatsoever. So really, the bulk of our work was seeing what sort of sweet-talking we we could do while preparing our client mentally for the inevitability of spending a few years in jail. Now, from day one, his wife was nothing but distraught. How could this be happening? Isn't there some sort of loophole? Can't we just pay some huge fine? Anything to keep her husband out of jail. Just anything. Every court hearing, every in-office meeting, she arrived and left in tears. She just couldn't or wouldn't accept the reality of the situation. Her husband had misused company credit cards, made cash withdrawals, and falsified financial records to try to hide these shenanigans. And we're not talking about him taking 50 or 100 bucks at a time. He paid for family vacations, he made mortgage payments, car payments private school, and it added up. Compounding this problem was the fact that the victim company was furious and was out for blood. So the DA's office really kind of had their hands tied on what they could offer to settle this case. All in all, it was just a bad situation, and there was just very little we could do to improve it for our client. So the big day comes... After giving the prosecution all our pleas for mercy and trying to highlight whatever little holes we could poke in this case, we reached our deal. A 10 split 3. What that means essentially is that he would receive a 10-year sentence but would only have to do three years in prison and then would be on probation for an amount of time, somewhere like three to five years. And if he screwed up, then he'd go back and finish the 10-year sentence. When we showed up to enter this plea agreement, wife is in tow and is, of course, in constant tears. Our client, to his credit, accepted his fate. He was very stone-faced about it. 
the judge accepted the deal and the bailiff took our client into custody. You know, he said his goodbyes to his wife and solemnly marched out the doors towards his fate. So our client being let out of the courtroom is causes our, his wife to react exactly how you would expect. Crying, making a scene. I mean, it literally got bad enough that the judge ordered the bailiffs to escort her out of the courtroom. So we take her down at her request to where the bailiffs load soon-to-be prisoners into squad cars where they're taken to jail and officially processed. She puts on a show the whole daggum time. We get down there, sees her husband loaded up into the car, is crying, we're holding her back. It's this entire scene. Now, I want you to know I'm not exaggerating when I say this next part. This 100% happened as I'm reporting it. She boohooed and cried and wailed as the car backed up and got onto the main road and pulled out of sight. The moment her husband was out of sight, he's effectively in jail in her mind. This wife of his wipes her eyes. The tears immediately stop. And he says, well, I guess his ass is gone. And she walks to her car. No goodbye to us. We never hear from her again. That's it. Maybe she wanted to put on a show for him going to prison so he could take with him all that love and and cherish the memories of a grieving wife. I don't know. But it was easily one of the weirdest experiences I ever had with a member of a client's family. Up next, we've got the prison spa. So this guy was actually one of the more enjoyable clients I had during my career. Uh, his name was Tate. And he was in and out of prison so often that he knew how to work with the system better than I did. Uh, he just... He had made the decision early on in life that he was going to be a career criminal, and that's just how it was. He didn't try to mask it in any way. That's just, he was going to be Tate the felon, you know? And he understood the consequences of his actions and didn't whine or complain when he was arrested. It was just part of his daily life. Now, it's... Like I said, Tate knew the system, and he knew it well. Um, we had plenty of clients complain about not being given access to the phone, not being given access to their medications, you know, not being allowed to eat when the other members of the, the inmate population eat. Tate didn't have this problem. Tate called our office all the time, all the time. I mean, typically... We would hear from a client once a month if we were lucky because what little phone time they got, they would usually spend with their client or their family, not not Tate. He, he called us all the time. It's like he had his own private extension at the jail, and he just wanted to know what was going out in the free world. He, he just called a chit-chat. Now, like I said, since Tate was a career criminal, um, he wasn't really viewed with a lot of sympathy from the judge, so he was not given a bond while he was in jail. And this didn't seem to bother him in the least. Uh, you know, really, when he would make these phone calls, I don't remember him asking a whole lot about what was going on with his case. It was a lot more of what's going on in the world, 
hey, I need you to contact this person for me and have them do this and this and this. Apparently trying to continue his criminal ways while locked up. We, of course, would not call his buddies and would not help continue his shenanigans. And we never really understood why he got this unlimited calling card from the sheriff or why that wasn't enough for him to call his buddies to make these plans. Now, I know what you're asking. What did Tate get put in jail for? Well, he was pulled over for driving the wrong way down a one-way street as he was going to see a woman. The officer asked to search his vehicle, which Tate smartly refused. But he made the mistake of thinking he could bribe the officer, and it was a ridiculous bribe. It was something like 20 bucks. This led to the cop immediately arresting him, and then they had to inventory his car after they towed it and found a nice collection of cocaine, LSD, and ecstasy in the trunk. So... We have Tate facing three charges of drug trafficking with a nice little bonus of bribery. Since Tate had this colorful criminal history to begin with, there wasn't much question about what was going to happen to Tate. Life in prison. Nothing we could do. Mandatory minimums. And it's not like this situation presented any sort of sympathy. Everybody knew how the story would end. We did. The DA did. Tate did. Of course, you know, Tate was too busy scheming to really be concerned about these little petty charges. Um, But he would constantly request our presence in jail, and we would oblige him as much as we could. Our office was not exactly next door to the jail, so it was usually whenever we were coming back from court, we'd stop by to see Tate and see what the haps was. Naturally, the DA was eager to close this case. I mean, it was a big one. They could get lots of publicity for it, three trafficking charges, and there was no work to be done. I mean, they made us the offer of life without parole. That's what the statute required. Um, And even if we went to trial, that's what he was going to get. We were also kind of ready to close the case because Tate was a pain in the butt. He had paid us, and we had done everything we could for him. We just wanted to close his file. But Tate wouldn't accept a settlement offer. So we planned on having a a come-to-Jesus meeting with Tate one day, letting him know that he had basically run out of time to make a decision and he needed to fish or cut bait. The best deal we could get him was the state agreed to have him plead guilty to one of the counts of trafficking and would dismiss the other two, as well as the bribery charge. It didn't really matter. It, I mean, life without, he didn't have anything to hang his hat on. But at least this, we, this way we could say, look, you're only going to be found guilty of this one charge. So we hoped we could spin it that way. So when we went to meet with Tate, it was an odd experience all the way around. First, we had to wait 30 minutes before we could meet with Tate. The only time that's really ever happened is when there's been some sort of riot that breaks out while we're in the jail um but this this was just a typical day nothing unusual happened when tate finally was brought to see us he had this white cream all over his face and we were 
immediately concerned. Um, you know, had he been burned or injured in some way? Uh, did he have some sort of skin t- condition we didn't know about that he was actually being treated for? Turns out the answer was nope. We were interrupting his spa day. Yeah, Tate was uh, having his weekly skin treatment to keep his youthful appearance. That's how well he had learned to manipulate the system, that he was able to have these little moments of relaxation and, and personal time in jail where he could work on his skin. But wait, it gets even better. The reason Tate wasn't interested in talking about this case was because he's also facing federal charges out of Colorado, I think it was. It was somewhere out west. He hadn't divulged this information to anyone, and for whatever reason, the DA was not made aware of it by the feds. It apparently didn't pop up in their system where they missed it. So he was waiting for the perfect time to plead guilty to this state charge so that when he was taken into custody by the feds, he would be housed in the prison he wanted to be in. Let me say that again. He knew the federal prison system so well that he had timed out when he wanted to be done with his state case so he could maximize his chances of being sent to the federal facility of his choice. The facility of his choosing happened to be one of the few co-ed federal facilities and one of his many girlfriends happened to be living there at the moment. Tate was fine with the deal we worked out. He didn't. He really didn't care what we did. Um, he just wanted us to delay his hearing long enough for his little timeline to work out. So we told the DA we were fine as long as we could do the plea agreement next month. The DA was fine with that. They were in no rush simply because they knew this case was open and shut. So we did the plea one day. He got his sentence, and then sure enough, federal agents showed up to take him off to Colorado or wherever. One day when we came back from court, our secretary laughed as we walked in the door because she had to report that Tate had indeed made it to the facility of his choice. We also later learned that Tate had somehow managed to gain access to the female side of our county jail while he was waiting for his state charges to resolve, and he just happened to develop a relationship with one of the female inmates so he could have an Alabama girlfriend, and that inmate happened to be one of our clients too. And when she learned that Tate had left the state to face federal charges in Colorado, she too broke down sobbing. I don't remember Tate being particularly handsome or charismatic in any way, but apparently that man had a way with women. And you can't deny that he wasn't smart, because by God, he took full advantage of the system. The last case I was going to share with you all today is about the ultimate scammer. This is not someone I represented. This is part of uh, the local lore where I practiced criminal law. And I just have to share it with you because it's an unbelievable tale. I don't really remember the names or the details of a lot of the parties, but I remember the substance of the story, and I think that's all anybody will really care about. So we begin back in the 80s. Our protagonist was arrested for essentially running a Ponzi scheme. 
He had taken dozens of people for somewhere between $10,000 and $50,000 each. He, I think he was selling stock in a company that didn't really exist. And this went on for months because the victims were typically businessmen and women who had a certain standing in the community and they were too embarrassed to admit that they had been fooled by this guy. But of course, naturally, someone did report the scheme and it happened to be the district attorney's aunt or cousin or something like that. A close personal friend of the DA, of course. So Mr. Ponzi's scheme gets arrested and dragged into jail, but the DA's got a dilemma. His victims don't give two poops about, about the jail time this dude gets. They want their money back. And as you could guess, our buddy the scammer didn't have any cash on him from what he had scammed away. The reason why this is such a huge problem for the DA is because the people who had been scammed are the same people that typically finance campaigns for elected officials like district attorneys. So our scammer is smart enough to hire an excellent attorney who quickly recognizes the DA's problem and takes advantage of the situation for his client. And this causes the DA to make one of the dumbest deals I've ever heard of in an effort to make his victims happy. So the important parts of the deal. Our scammer buddy would be kept in jail while he worked to regain the money that he had lost. Now, he's not out there, you know, stamping license plates or anything. He claims that while he didn't have access to the money, his accountants and some of his business associates did. And if he could be allowed to have access to a phone... Um, and a fax machine and things like that, he could get the money back. So the DA agreed to this and set up the defendant in one of his empty offices. So he had his phone, he had his fax machine, he had a typewriter, he had the assistance of support staff, and every morning a deputy would pick him up from jail and bring him to the DA's office to begin his work and Every afternoon, he got a ride back to jail. I think he had a debt somewhere around $500,000 that he had to clear up. And again, this is in 1980s money, so it's, it's a pretty sizable chunk. So after his first week of work, he had managed to bring in around $20,000. And the DA was really happy about this. So he allowed our scammer to keep working to make restitution for his victims. Again, his very politically important victims. After week two, the defendant's total was somewhere between fifty and 60000 he had brought in, and things were going great for everyone. The scammer was looking at less and less jail time with every 1000 bucks he brought in. The DA was making people happy by returning their money. It was just an awesome situation for everyone. Except there was one minor detail. Everybody was so excited about the money coming in that nobody really thought to check where the money was actually coming from. It seems that the accountant and other friends of the scammer were really just a new crop of victims. And instead of selling, you know, stocks or securities or whatever, our defendant was calling people 
claiming he worked on behalf of the DA and that these people owed money to various institutions or other people, and if they could send in X number of dollars, they wouldn't have to open up a criminal case. He even got access to the DA's letterhead so he could send letters threatening these same things. I'll let you take a moment to let that sink in, what was going on here. This dude had some cojones on him. In fact, things were going so well, the only reason he got caught was because he thought it would be wise to scam people in circuits outside of our district attorney's jurisdiction. And he happened to hit up somebody who was politically important in another judicial circuit, and that DA called our DA to pitch a fit about why was he threatening to prosecute someone outside of his jurisdiction. Needless to say, that's when this house of cards all fell apart. Our scammer lost his office set up. And while the DA was able to make some of his victims whole, he did so at the expense of victims in other circuits. This, of course, caused an investigation into the DA's office and a ton of embarrassment for the DA. In fact, he decided to retire and not run for re-election after all of this mess. The scammer, of course, ended up being prosecuted in several circuits and ended up getting a nice long prison sentence. For some strange reason, he was shown no mercy after scamming our DA. But honestly, I, I kind of found that dude to be clever <laughs> and smart enough to take advantage of a situation. You know, I don't applaud what he did, but I admire the ingenuity behind it. So there we go, three war stories for a mini-sode. I hope you enjoyed them. These stories are true, like I said, or at least purported to be true, as the scammer story took place while I was in grade school, so I obviously wasn't a part of it. Um, this is what criminal defense attorneys deal with as they struggle to make a living. One of the good things is what you lack in payment and fees earned, you make up for and good stories. So if you like this, let me know. We can do these on a regular basis. As Lord knows, 10 years of criminal defense work has given me my fair share of stories I can share. With that aside, we will wrap up this mini-sode. Please make sure you've subscribed to our show on your favorite app so that you never miss these little surprise mini-sodes. Please share with your friends especially ones that are thinking about going to law school and want to become involved in the criminal justice system. This is kind of some of the nitty-gritty they get to deal with on a regular basis. So thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. And with that, Brad is out of here. Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.